Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. Follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. Follow me at the Dan Urban. Follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and subscribe to us wherever you listen. And if you like this show, give us that five-star review. I promise it'll be worth it this time. And as always, we talk judging and MMA, so head on over to abcboxing.com and read the scoring criteria. We're getting way too fast. We are getting way too fast. <laughs> Wait, this is a show about judging criteria? Oh, no. I'm so screwed. Oh, yeah. You're messed <laughs> up. You're messed up. No, and, and that is uh, that is the uh, the dulcet tones of Jay Petri. Yes, we have a guest on this Monday edition of the Couchside Judges. Jay of SureDog fame, welcome yes, to the Couchside Judges. Fellas, fellas, fellas. I'm really happy to be here. I'm a long-time listener for first-time caller, I believe, is the, the what the kids say these <laughs> that, days. No, 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 no they but, don't say uh, that anymore. That's what they used to say. <laughs> eh, yeah. Hey, man, I did that in the Sherdog days, but that's a whole different story. There you go. Um, I also, um, in addition to my editing job at, at Sherdog, I attended the ABC conference with these two fine gentlemen here. That's we right. learned a whole lot about judging and scoring, and I will let them break the news about the results of the tests instead of breaking it myself uh, because we all took the test. Uh, on a, a final note, I'm kind of honored to be here on, on episode 199. You know, sometimes we're like, I'm, I'm a numbers guy, so we're like, ooh, 200 sexy. No, no, no. 199 is special to me because that's probably my favorite UFC card. 199, uh, Rockhold Bisping number two, you know, left hook Larry, um, all the magic that happened, Max Holloway pointing at the ground of Ricardo Lamas, knowing what he was doing, you know, all the magic that happened that night. Uh, so 199 is a good, good handsome number for me so uh thank you guys for for having me on here well what a nice positive spin on the number that i was going to completely write off so good job <laughs> good job by you jay <laughs> yeah. what are you gonna do and you know what i think you did a good job of, of plugging everything but uh, i don't think you plugged everything sir you have a podcast no, as no, well no. why don't you no. th throw out everything come on come on come on Okay, I'm plugging. Um, I, I have a weekly show called The Living Death Show, obviously inspired by our, our, our favorite interaction by Ken Shamrock and, and Tito Ortiz uh, with the chair slam and everything. Um, I work for SureDog in, in all capacities, and you can find my work all there. You can find me on Twitter at uh, jpetri, J-A-Y, Petri, and that's all I have for you today. That's Petri with two Ts, by the way. Correctamundo. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. like the pterodactyl from that movie with the dinosaurs. Ah, Scott's favorite movie. I love all dinosaur movies, <laughs> even the good ones and the not good ones, which mostly are not good ones. But that's okay. I like them anyway. Guys, uh, before we we're getting way off topic. Yeah, but listen, it's officially August 1st, so do your thing, Scott. Oh, sir. Go ahead and do it. What am I supposed to do? Wish me a happy birthday. Well, I, I thought there was some sort of noise I was supposed to make, oh. like a pterodactyl noise. No. Yes, it is Dan's birthday. Thank so you. everybody out there, wish him a happy birthday. Uh, Jay, you want to sing? <laughs> am, am, I'm thinking about it. Am I, hold on, am I supposed to do? Blah, 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 blah. Mar, 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 do that that's only for that's only for couchside overrides. <laughs> hey man, I'll, oh well, we got some of those coming. I'm hoping. I'm really we crossing just, my fingers here. Happy birthday, did. Dan! Hell yeah, this is gonna be a great show. Thank you. It is. It is. And and as Jay alluded to, yes, all the, the the three of us alongside Aaron Bronstetter were the kind of the media contingent up at the ABC uh, conference last weekend. We took the judging and the refereeing course. And yeah, I mean. Might as well take the lid off it, right? All of us pass both courses. Which is awesome. It is. It is. We didn't know that the last time we recorded when we recorded our kind of recap show. So that is uh, that is in the books. Our names are, are engraved forever on the internet at, at the ABC Boxing <laughs> website as having passed. Uh, so there's that. Looks like most people passed, which was nice to see. Um, 
Yeah, it's probably not much more really to add for, right? No. It was I a wonderful we, experience. Uh, yes, that's exactly that's that's exactly what I was going to say. I was listening to your uh, your talk about the ABCU, the overstuff show, and a lot of the points you hit on, I really I didn't want to take too much time on the show, but to also touch on like like what Sal Tomato said about positional control is not dominance. Some of the the key points and takeaways that you guys had, they also hit me right here too. I'm pointing at my chest, of course. Sure, sure. Um, and and uh, yeah, this 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 was a great experience. And here, guys, can I? I'm gonna, we're going to go just one hair off the page. Did you guys watch these fights this weekend differently than you usually do after the judging, after having the judging courses in your book? Because I did. You know, slightly, slight. I would say slightly, but I feel like that's almost always what happens because, like we we have been uh, privileged to have uh, great conversations with lots of officials. Uh, Pretty much any time that we have a question, they've always been very, very mm-hmm. uh, accommodating and, and helpful and quick to answer us and that and all that jazz. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like every time I have those conversations, it definitely alters the way I look at a fight, even, you know, mm-hmm. mildly, moderately, what have you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would say probably here. Definitely. I'm, I'm trying to be more con- considerate of things like like uh, dominance, you know, yep. in, in terms of that kind of thing. Thinking about that kind of thing. But I'm, it didn't really come into play so much in this fight, these fights uh, anyway. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, but but it's it's good to hear that you certainly looked at it differently. Yeah, just just a little bit. Anyways, lead on sailors. Let's rock. What are we talking about today? Well, Dan, what about you? I mean, did you did you kind of look oh, yeah, at anything differently? Too? Uh, a little bit. Um more so in, in the grappling realm, I think, mm. than anything mm-hmm. else. Which I feel like we did, yeah. again, we did kind of a little less of, I think, in, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, round valuations, right? Right. Well, yeah. well you have practical recent experience of Oma Plata setup, so we got to see a few of yes, those in practice. And I got to say, I like yours better. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know what? Hers were at least better attacks. Though. I think there was a little more uh, danger <laughs> in, involved there from Juliana Pena. And speaking of, I think we should probably dive into these fights here, right? So Please. that... Not as much about Pena, but more about the idea of uh, Amanda Nunes. She's she's back on top. Um, dominant fashion. Really, I mean, it was a competitive fight in the sense that you always felt like Pena really could still pull it off. But on the whole, this was most definitely a Nunes uh, dominance. I mean, 50-45, 50-44, and 50-43 speaks to that uh, to some degree, right? But the question I have for you, gentlemen, and we will start with our uh, our esteemed guest, Jay. What is your preferred next fight for Amanda Nunes? Now, that can be what you want for the division. It can be really just, it's really just whatever you want to see next for Amanda Nunes. What is that? So I couldn't go so far as to say a boxing match with Ronda Rousey. Of course. <laughs> Please don't do Any, that. Well, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> you know, when I when I see this fight, it, it's a good the way you put that, that it, it was a competitive match and that Pena wasn't ever really out of the fight. She took some just absolutely terrifying damage. Um, as we saw by her her face afterwards. But it wasn't like one of those fights where it's a 50-45, you go, well, we know how this is going to play out for the rest of the fight, and there's nothing the other person can do about it. Uh, Peggy was very dangerous in that regard. So what I want for Amanda Nunes, I, uh, I'm i an old-school guy. I want the division to continue on. I don't care about the sexy, the flashy. I don't need the selling. I like the division to continue on. So when I look at the, the what the what the the bantamweight division is right now, women's bantamweight, of course, and Nunes has beaten most of the contenders, and the other ones she hasn't beaten are probably lost one or two of their last fights. So then, of course, you have to go who's left? Kate Vieta, fresh face, beat Holly Holm recently, um, and, and is 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 coming into her, her win before that was over Misha Tate. That's a that's okay. I like that and. Um, it will be a good challenge because we had a strong, and I think it doesn't have to be the next. When people look at 
championship fights and the next fight. Sometimes they go, oh, I want to see who could beat this person. I just want to see the next person because we don't know. We wrote Tyler Santos off completely, or most of us did for Valentina Shevchenko. And that was a fight. So, yeah, let's. I'm, I'm going with Caitlin Fieta. Am I, am I crazy here? Am I on too far of a limb? No, I, I, I think uh, Caitlin's... If you're going in that direction, yeah, you got to go, Vieta. She's she's next in line. If uh, you don't do what I want to see, what do you want to see? But I'm I want to see Valentino or Pena trilogy. Uh, the thing I know, Pena got dominated, but like you said, she was really never out of it. There was there was moments where it's like, wow, is she really gonna pull this off, come make a comeback, and she did beat her the first time. So I I don't know. I I like to see that rubber match. Also, I think uh, Valentina would be a good good thing. Pe- arguably, she won that second fight. Uh, first fight was only three rounds, so I'd like to see him do five more. All right, so so we have three names on the board. These really seem like the only names that actually make any sense in terms of women available and, and women in position to take these fights. So we got, we've got Valentina Shevchenko, we've got Ketlin Vieta, and we've got uh, Juliana Pena, right? I'll rank them in order of how I want. Number three, Pena. Uh, through seven rounds, most of seven rounds, We've seen Nunez be winning most of the time, except for, you know, and I hate, I don't want to say fluke. I don't think that's fair. But round two of the first fight, it just, it, it was unlike everything else. Like one of these things does not look like the other. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I feel like what we have over the course of those two fights is a, a good picture of where Amanda Nunez skill wise compared to Juliana Pena. And I just don't see that as reason to do a, a the trilogy fight next. So I'm putting that third. Number two, Kentley Vieta. I'd be happy if that was. I think Jay is right. This is a this is a perfectly reasonable challenger. Next challenger at Bantamweight, probably the only woman. And he hit the nail on the head more so than I think he meant to when he said he that she beat Holly Holm because don't forget how many people didn't think she beat yeah. Holly Holm. She most definitely mm-hmm. beat Holly Holm, especially if you go by the scoring criteria. I think that was actually a much clearer decision than some people really thought. That probably marinated on too much in the last couple of months. But number one for me is Valentina Shevchenko. I just, look, I get it that Vieta is essentially the number one contender there, but let's be honest, if Valentina Shevchenko was still fighting at 35, she would be the perpetual number one contender. At 135 pounds, unless she was the actual champion. And I I think now there is a hunger for that fight once again. I think it's starting to reach a fever pitch. There is not a clear challenger at 125 pounds. There's not a must challenger at 135 pounds. So I, I think it's time. I think it's time for the uh, the trilogy fight between these two women. I think it will do a lot better than the second fight did. Buy-wise, pay-per-view-wise, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. To me, I, I see that fight, and I, I'm starting to view it like Max Holloway, Volkanovski, number three. Because, yo, he won the first two, but the second was... Volkanovski won the first two, but the second was close. And you can you can sell that to, to pitch a third fight. So I, when you look at women's 125, you see a lot of younger talent, but you go, I don't know if Manon Fiore is ready for, for a title shot after, you know, maybe one more win. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't hate it. I, I'm, you know, all right. Well, that's my thing. I think we might have a challenger at 125 sooner than than we think if Man and Fior beats Caitlin Chikagi. Well, that would so, be in that's September. September, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, I I could kind of see a situation where we get maybe both Nunez and Shevchenko back on the calendar for let's say a December fight 
or maybe even a November fight, maybe in Madison Square Garden. You know, those are the two final shows of the year. Obviously, the two big ones, they like to do one in Vegas. They do one at the Garden. They always load those up. So I imagine there could be room for one of them to get a second fight in this year. That's why I kind of see it lining up. And it would be very tough to to say, hey, Menafior, why don't we just stick you in a title fight three months later? They could do it and she'll do it if they ask her. But I, I think the better I think the better way to go about it is to create a big fight like that to the end of the year. All right. So that's where I'm at with that. But let's move on to, you know, what about Juliana Payne here, right here, right? She is, she's not chopped liver or anything like that, right? She, she actually acquitted herself very well, even in defeat, as we spoke about. But what does this loss say about her, if it says anything, as a champion, of her, of her time as champion, I should say? Dan, what do you think? I think she was, she stopped the GOAT. <laughs> I can't knock her for that. Sure. It's, it's like, I don't, and I don't want to compare her to Matt Sarah, but it has Matt Sarah GSP vibes a little bit, where Sarah knocked out GSP and then just got destroyed in the rematch. Very similar there. What do you think, so, Jay? Uh, it, like, she will always and forever will be a UFC champion. You, you know how people will talk about, oh man, if we fought 10 times, I would beat and I would win nine of them. Well, it's very possible this was the, the one of the 10 situations where Pena. Uh, did the darn thing, but Dan's right. She she dethroned the goat. Like there, there's you can't look at this fight and other than going, you know, with like a Tito Ortiz level fractured skull type of in, uh, <laughs> uh, excuses. Because I didn't, I, I tell you, gentlemen, I didn't know until the broadcast yesterday, yesterday um, that Amanda Nunes had given excuses about hurt my knee. I knew she had COVID, but I didn't, I hadn't heard any of that beforehand, and it kind of soured me on the experience because no, Juliana Pena beat her took everything Nunes could throw at her and dragged her into deep waters, blah, blah, all the cliches and expressions, and finished her by uh, submission exhaustion and or rear naked choke. <laughs> she won definitively. So that is a legacy thing um, that, that, that can never be taken away from her. So it is fair and not rude to put her in that Sarah GSB category because she did it. She did it when the deck was stacked against her. I mean, we look at the line and GSP was about a, what, a, a 1,200 favorite if you're looking at the betting lines, similar for Nunez, and, and you have a lot of parallels there. So I like the way that Dan framed that because I think that makes sense, and it doesn't detract from what Peña does because we look at Matt Sarah, and, you know, you don't use the F word, the, the, the fluke word. Um, use Grispy if you got to use one, but you just kind of, you know, just kind of enjoy what she did there and and appreciate that she had her moment to shine. Um and you and I also look at it and go, yeah. If they rematched, if if they made the the third fight that Dan's looking for, I feel it would play out like that. Only maybe a little less bloody, maybe a little more bloody. I'm not sure. I don't know, Scotty. What are you thinking? You know, I have to say, I kind of framed this question in a way that was trying to set a trap for you guys, and you didn't fall for it. So good job, both of you. Uh, I I, th I think absolutely, you have to give her credit for her time as champion. She got there. She did the damn thing, like you said. Um, and. It happened. You can't take that away. But it is what it is. It's it's kind of her time, and it was kind of this little blip, and now it's over, and I guess we kind of just move on, right? It's <laughs> Nobody really looks back to the Matt Sarah era, you know? It was not really much of one, and I don't think anyone will say the same thing about, or people will think of it time, the time that uh, Pena was champion very similarly. So, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, uh, you fellas. I think you did a good if, job navigating that I, question. Yeah, what do you want, Jack? If I could. Um, yeah, th there is one thing. I, I like to point this out sometimes. Uh, I like to harp on it on my own show actually people probably get tired of me saying it uh former champions and and those up in the, the top echelon of the division especially former champions usually get a shorter 
track to subsequent title shots. I mean, you can you can think of the champions that lost their titles and then were only two wins away from another crack at it. I think Pena established herself in this range because, again, like you said, Scott, she acquitted herself very well. That armbar she had in round four, ooh, boy, oh boy, I, I think that could have finished a lot of people. I think were it not for the fact that her face was a crimson mask and it and it kind of dripped on the arm, you know, maybe maybe we would have been looking at and still here. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this is a, I think this was a net positive for the UFC. Um, and, and and I think it, it worked out, I think, for everybody, except there, for Juliana Pena. There will come a time where Amanda Nunes is not fighting anymore. It's probably and much closer than any of us later. think. Yes, absolutely. And and, yeah. and in that time, I bet you Juliana Pena is still around. And yeah, I think I could see it, too. I mean, this this definitely puts her in that conversation uh, down the road. And, and it'll be an interesting division, but we're, we're still not there yet. We've, we've definitely we're very much in the Lioness era, which is six years on, you know, with with a blip in there. Uh, and and it's back on and running. Maybe goodness, can you imagine if she won the belt at UFC 200 and then she defends at UFC 300? Can as you long imagine as Jim that? Miller's on the card, I'm good. <laughs> well, that's that's certainly our our friend here, Dan. For right. Sure. Um, moving on to the flyweight interim title fight, Brandon Moreno. I think everybody was waiting for this to happen. I mean, not necessarily saying that Caracara France couldn't win, but I think people were probably at, to some degree hoping to get that fourth fight because they've always enjoyed all of these fights. So this sets up the tetralogy, right? Are you excited for it, Dan? Let's first off say, why you got to say tetralogy? Because that's the word for a fourth fight, sir. It's quadrilogy. No. They're synonyms. <laughs> Correct. They are synonyms. Tetralogy. They're synonyms. <laughs> got to be so different. I'm a writer. What do you want? I had to look it up. <laughs> anyway. Yes, I'm very You're excited welcome. for this. Uh, uh, I loved it. I, I, both fighters are great. I want to. I mean, from a fight where we shouldn't have seen even a rematch, now we're get, looking at a fourth fight between these two, uh, two. Yeah, I'm excited for it. What do you think, uh, Mr. J? Are you excited as well? You, you know, when a great fight or maybe a great rivalry happens, you can go. I could watch these guys fight every three months until they're bored and they're they have too much money on their hands. That to me. I wasn't up for the automatic quadrilogy and or tetralogy. I was I was not looking at that and going, oh boy, I'd love to see them fight a fourth time, even though the, the third fight between Figueredo and Marino was very close. I thought let's let's let it marinate. Let's let them grow and develop as fighters because Brandon Marino is the assassin baby. He's not the assassin man. He's 28 years young. He still might not even be in his prime yet. Let's let him build up to it. Although if we uh, let Figueredo grow, he might grow into 35. He might grow into 35. And hey, man, Marino might too. He's, he might get bigger. We Crazy things happen. But I, I was thinking of this the whole time. And I was thinking this partly because of the, the friends we made at the ABC conference from a certain commission south of the border discussing the options for how to pull off a big pay-per-view in, say, Mexico City. Because that's the that's the UFC's goal is to get back down there. You got Brandon Marino as the champion against try, trying to unify his belt, and then you can throw on all the other fighters. You got Rodriguez or any Aldana, Alex. You know you you know the names, and you can throw them on there. So this is a win win for the UFC. And the fact that it's a thrilling fight between the best two guys in the division, you know, I, I can't be mad at it. I I I, I feel for Alexander Pantoja. Because you know this is gonna he he might turn into the Leon Edwards of the division at this rate, but it, it's um, it, it you can't go wrong when these two guys throw down because of how much fun we've had on all three of those fights. And and I, I have to think at the end of the, the at the end of all of it, this rivalry 
it should, the, the, the all the matches they have should stand up among the best we've had. I have to think. You know what I really liked about this, and this is kind of neither here nor there to what either of you was saying, but I loved how they wanted to do this stare down, right? And they wanted to have this little moment in the oh, cage after the oh, fight. It's beautiful. And 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 he come, yeah, they got Figueredo's coming into the cage, and he's looking all tough, looking all hard. And then all of a sudden, Moreno's like, "Listen, I want to be, I want to be respectful. I want to set a good example <laughs> for my daughter. Let's just let's just keep it respectful. I I look forward to fighting you, but but we want to be friends." And da, 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 da. and then Figueredo, because you're having a hard time reading him and also there's the language barrier and everything like that so you kind of wonder what is he thinking what's he gonna do it's like he could do he could go one way he could go the heel way or he could bury it and go the go the handshake way and all of a sudden they give this weird handshake and it's like all right i guess we're gonna be respectful i was i was thinking about this was his right is his right hand the one that's injured I was thinking the same thing. That, actually, you know what? I hadn't left. thought about that. I'm the only yep. one who didn't think of it, obviously. Because if, <laughs> if his I mean, hand it, is injured, yeah. In in that moment, Davis and Figueroa's heart grew three sizes. Like this is <laughs> this was the turnaround point for the. I forgive you for what you said, and I'm sorry for what I said. It's just the UFC probably was not happy about that because they love to to be able to sell on controversy. But good guy pay per view, sign me all the way up. I like. I'd rather have I'm not impressed with your performance than, you know, uh, uh, living death. But that, that may be just me. <laughs> and that's weird because you named your show after one. Hey, man, you got to love something sometimes. <laughs> My short answer is yes, I'm very excited for this fight. <laughs> and one more before we kind of get into contested rounds. This is a little bit more of an officiating thing. So it's, I think it's appropriate for us coming off of ABC uh, referee training here. Dirk Lewis, early stoppage, right stoppage or close. Could have gone either way. Jay, what do you think? I this actually this my opinion actually changed. I I could feel myself thinking this is how it would have thought, and then I took it to I, I took the stoppage into you know consideration of what uh, Big Tan was seeing, um, and and I thought okay, Derek Lewis got dropped to his knees, came back, backed up against the fence, hit, couldn't tell how many shots he was absorbing completely, and then fell down face forward, booped his face on the ground. That Boop. even if even if it was just a minor little thing and he sprang back up, that any any form of face planting is a okay. It's time to do something. So while while twenty while June twenty twenty version of me would have been like boo boo, I I I I understand what Big Tan saw and and from the angle he saw on the replays, I go oh, but I don't I I like to judge and think of it without the luxury replays. So I'm. I'm straddling that fence, boys. So hit me with all you got. So what you're saying is I, close. I, I can. Yeah, I, it was. I'm more on the side of good than 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 bad. But I, I I think I see Dan is a little feeling feeling something about this. I maybe I'm wrong here. What do you think, Mister? What are you thinking, Dan? No, I'm I'm on the same page here. I I oh. think uh, it's a tough job. Obviously, we've seen Big Dan let fights like uh, Pat Barry and Czech Congo. He's let a lot of fights go, go that really while. ought not to have, yeah. um, including at the amateur level. But the thing <laughs> is, Derek Lewis does face plant. Fighter safety yeah. is the top priority of the referee. As we were taught. I think I I think it's a fine stoppage. I I, I have no issue with it. My live reaction was that it was it, it was a good stoppage, that it felt fine. It felt fine to me. I mean, you can pick it apart all you want and replay is kind of like what Jay is alluding to. But but on the whole, if, if you felt one way in the moment, that's all you have. You only have the moment to react. And and I think 
the the right thing was done here. One, one thing stuck out to me was uh, what, what Joe Rogan said on the broadcast. He was kind of making a reference to Frankie Edgar, Gray Maynard, letting the fight go. Oh, da, 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 yeah. da. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Joe, those guys weighed 110 pounds less. What are you talking about? They don't hit as hard. You could, These guys... you could have stacked Frankie Edgar on top of Gray Maynard, and they would have weighed the same as Derek Lewis did yeah, last Yeah, it would have been like the kids in the like the, like the little rascals, like one sitting on the other's shoulders wearing a coat, right? <laughs> um, it just... It, what what that's i know joe says some funny stuff so i guess i kind of accept it to some degree but also i'm like guy they're not the same this is not a this is not apples and apples this is like apples and watermelons because one is well bigger than the other right um i i think this was a fine stoppage i didn't have a big problem with it again you want to pick it apart later fine but that's not right that's not how you can do it so um, can i ask you guys a one word uh, one word answer yeah will they run this fight back scott yes or no uh hope not i know that's two but i don't eh. think so no 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 i'm hoping not just move on yeah <laughs> just my, what hope, what needs to be pro- my question is what needs to be proved by having them run it back again i, I just i don't get it like the guy was not winning that exchange <laughs> to begin with no so way. whatever um moving on to contested rounds we're gonna we're gonna put jay through the contested rounds and we do have quite yes. a few uh on this one because of the strange setup too I feel like this is what led to part of this, is there was a strange setup in the way the Texas uh, Commission assigned the officials to this one. All of the prelims were local judges only. They brought in Sal D'Amato, they brought in Doug Crosby, they're only two traveling judges for this one. But they isolated them to the pre- or to the main card doing the final five fights. Uh, and it was weird to see, because we've seen, I see different methodologies from the way Texas does their their assignments like all over the place. Sometimes they'll have, you know, uh, referees that'll do both, you know, referee and judge. Uh, we only had one of those uh, in this case, and that was Jacob Montavo, who, perfectly honest, I think is one of the better ones at being able to do both uh, jobs at ably at events. I think he does has good experience with both. So to see that him be the only one, no problem with it, truth be told, even at the UFC level. But when you stack just re- regional level judges on a UFC prelim card, I feel like it's it, it's just it doesn't feel right for the UFC level. Uh, we've got sometimes some really high level fights on prelims here. I it just doesn't seem like the type of thing you should be tr- entrusting local judges for entirely. Uh, so I, that one struck me as as a bit strange. I think in an ideal world, I liked what Ohio did earlier this year where they had enough officials to do this, you put two traveling judges alongside a local judge. That way they get the experience, but also you're not relying on local judges to try and make the call on who wins a, a UFC-level fight. I feel like we're playing with fire. But fortunately, we didn't. I don't think we got a bad decision out of this anyway, right? Does anyone disagree? Or? No, I, I think I think it's, it's pretty good, so... What do you think, Jeff? We had, we had a couple head scratchers for specific rounds, but, but I think but, that we, but the right we lucked people out. Won. We lucked out. That's that's the the essence there. But let's start. Yeah. Let's start with the main card. I think we have four main card rounds that we're going to go over for both both from the title fights or four from the title fights. Excuse me. So these these are the ones that I think people are going to be talking about most. They were the most visible. Um, and let's start with Amanda Nunez over Juliana Pena. Like I said before, it was 50-45, 50-44, and 50-43. So we do have some 10-8 situations. Rounds 2 and 5 are what we're talking about. So, Dan, why don't you uh, set up what happens in round 2, why we're talking about this as a potential 8? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to set it up a little different than I typically do. 
just because it's kind of a weird situation that we found ourselves in. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, so Nunez lands two solid rights, each drop Pena in the first half of the round. This round really ought to be a 10-8. When I scored it live, I only gave it 10-9. My reasoning was I didn't think Pena was all that hurt. Yes, she got dropped, but after the first one, she fires an instant upkick before Nunez tells her to get back up. The second one, she was lifted off her feet, completely depleted, but she's ready to go. She's arms and legs up, ready to defend. And the third time was a sod left and probably the worst visual as her legs were folded underneath her, but quickly ready to defend again. It was a good left straight. It was a real hard yeah. one. <laughs> I also thought Pena did land some decent shots of her own in that round. Obviously not on the same level of Nunez, but clearly Nunez outclassed her opponent. The damage was very high. I just didn't think Nunez got the duration for the third D. Now, rewatching, having some time, uh, realized this needs to be a 10-8. The damage and dominance were very high. Why should dominance really matter all that much? If she checked off... Uh, I'm sorry, why should, why should duration matter all that much? If she checked off duration, we may be debating 10-8 versus 10-7. And maybe she didn't even make it to the bell at that I point. I don't know maybe about if she, that. If, but... to, if overwhelming damage, overwhelming dominance, mm. overwhelming duration. We're looking at a, ten, a, a debate over at least maybe a 10-7. Anyway, I was wrong. Sought out clarification. I'll be better going forward. So yeah, yeah, I I appreciated uh, you know conversations with officials that we're fortunate to be able to have setting us right on the idea that yes, okay, if if damage is one of your two Ds, you're you're pretty much firing the the ten eight in the most of those situations. I'm sure there's extenuating circumstances because there's no kind of be all and all answer with that. But to know that if we get damage and we get dominance. Or we get duration without dominance, or or what have you, to to pull the trigger there, because that that was really the only thing that kept me from it. It was just thinking, okay, you know, maybe maybe there's the fact that she's not getting the uh, the good duration here, and she's being able to be let up, and it's kind of on the fence, and we don't get the way. Now, <laughs> I'll pull it with impunity. It's fine with me. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I I changed my score from the ten night that I originally ten nine that I officially assessed to uh, a ten eight, and I feel pretty good about it. What about you, Jay? Uh, I initially scored this uh, just for to let the listeners know. Uh, I write the official play by plays for sure yes. dog um, for for all UFC and major events, uh, which means I am typing up the action blow by blow live as it's happening and publishing and in between rounds of filing and all these things like that. So I am, which by the way, this is something that was stressed during our judges training as you have to have full devoted attention to to what you're scoring to be able to properly score it and to so the I idea that, that you're scoring and not just watching the fight exactly and so since i'm reporting on the fight and i'm also scoring and i realize i might be at a disadvantage but i also am able to kind of keep track of momentum shifts and i type very very quickly which i lucked out that way um i, I initially saw this as a 10-8 round uh when it happened and i i still believe that to be the case because my impression of the 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 uh, 10-8 situation uh, for the three Ds of damage, duration, and dominance. Uh, yes, uh, two. If you have two of the two of the three, um, it is a can be scored as a 10-8. Where the, if you have all three, it is shall be scored as a 10-8. But I also knew the interpretation of damage. Damage is king. If you are the one to inflict damage and you're also dominating your opponent, or if you're inflicting the damage for a, a great period of the round. Um, it, it it really leans closer to the 10-8 territory. That was my interpretation uh, from the course. So I felt comfortable knowing that, Dan, you're right. She, Juliana Pena popped back up or was intelligently defending herself every time she hit the mat. Uh, she fell funny the third time when she got lanced um, and went kind of down like a sack of potatoes. Somehow she snapped right back into it uh, and, and was able to compete. So 
you can look at that and go, oh, flash knockdowns. But that's three flash knockdowns in the span mm-hmm. of a, a three-minute window. And that check right hook could not miss. So I I, I felt comfortable with that 10-8 round um, as the, the, the round I, I did score that uh, for this fight. That one 10 8 I gave out in this fight, if I'm spoiler alert, spoiler alert Ooh, right now. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself, sir. We, <laughs> we got to close off the, the button on round two by just Please. saying that it was uh, Doug Crosby and Sal D'Amato, our two traveling judges coming into Texas. They were the ones who assessed a 10 8 here. It was not unanimous, it was the majority score. Jacob Montalvo, uh, he assessed a 10 9 here. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> we did too. So, who are we to judge, right? Your judges. Yeah, that's right. Your ABC Literally, this whole show is about judging. It's even in the title. So what, I mean, God, who should who would listen to me? Who would listen to me? Uh, Let's move on to round five, though. And I think this one, probably a little more succinct of a a discussion, I think, on this one. Right, Dan? Yeah, it's uh, obviously another good round for Nunez. Pena doesn't give up. She's throwing up omoplatas and triangles. Nothing coming that close. This, you know, this is part of the fight where Nunez was comfortable playing with fire as uh, Scott was putting it while we were watching it together. Mm. Uh, Nunez has her down in the middle of the cage, landing some elbows, some pretty solid shots. The cuts on Pena's head are leaking like a faucet. Uh Nunez, the holes in her head? <laughs> Nunez attacked the rear naked choke briefly, uh, more like a neck crank at that point. Pena escaped. Uh, it's close. I think the blood may exaggerate things a little bit. You know, I didn't see too much where Pena was hurt or rocked. I think the blood was from cuts of previous rounds. It's just bleeding because it's from the head. Cumulative damage. Yeah. Uh, it's a solid 10-9, I think, for Nunez. I think so, too. I feel good about this uh, being a 10-9 uh, situation, the same as uh, Judges... Uh, uh, it was, excuse me, Judges Montalvo and D'Amato. I, I have this written down in our notes incorrectly. It was Judge Crosby who gave this the 10-8. What about you, Jay? Did you did you go to the 8 or did you stick with us at the 9? I, I couldn't I couldn't pull the trigger for the for the ten eight round um, because while I saw a, a fair amount of control and the the damage that came from it, um, it just didn't. Nunez was was sharpening her Ginsu elbows on 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 Pena's face, and we talked about this in in, in our course about cumulative damage uh, potentially leading to scores in later rounds, adding to it if if she comes into the round with with, with two cuts and then she now has four cuts and it is a horror movie. Well, you might be more inclined to push it that way. But let me let me just also point out that 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 cuts and abrasions to the head bleed like crazy. The one in the hairline was a not significant cut in terms of size or depth, but it I assure you they, or they, the ability to stop the fight in and of itself by exactly. you know, vision and the that only, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. The only one that was of that nature was was uh opened up like we're talking very close towards the end, and it was right smack in the center of her forehead, like uh like she was growing unicorn horn out of there. It was uh a pretty wide one. But otherwise, it just wasn't quite enough for me to go. The damage was was to the was to the overwhelming or 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 um uh, substantial degree that it was a 10-8. Sure, sure, sure. I, I think I think we pretty much feel yeah. good about that one. So let's move on to the other title fight. That was Brandon Moreno getting the win over Kai Carfrance, like we mentioned. He won by a third-round uh, liver kick, yeah? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jay and I heard the, the science behind 
liver kicks and how it essentially shuts down the body on a delay, hits that nerve, and then the, they kind of just crumple, and there's pretty much no coming back from it. So that, realistically, you ever see a fighter go down with a, a shot like that, the referee's pretty much entitled to just jump in and be like, yeah, it's over right away. No need for follow-up shots. So um, that, that, what I thought, was a fascinating part of the conference to hear the scientific uh, explanation behind body shots, liver shots, uh, shots to the solar plexus, all that kind of thing. And, hey, hey, real quick, did anyone ever mention the Burgos knockout? No, that Why didn't come up. Because that, uh, that was kind of a weird situation. No, that didn't come up. Okay. I don't want to get off too up top yeah. because we don't have much. To I just, I just thought of it right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, Jay. Nothing, nothing was mentioned about the kind of the. the Not to, it was. Ones. It was just one of those delayed reaction. But I know. I don't believe so. No. 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 But anyway, so back to this fight though. Round. You got to talk about both rounds before the third round finish. Uh, which, by the way, I think we can all agree, Kyra France was certainly winning round three before he ate mm -hmm. that liver shot and was over. Oh yeah. Uh, that was a good round for him. Unfortunately. Uh, uh, but round one and two, again, we're split here. Dan, what's happening in round one? Why are we split? Early feeling out process. Both guys really only throwing low leg kicks, it seems, at this point. As the round progressives, uh, Marino lands a nice left hand. Still, only other strikes landing that stick out are low leg kicks, I think. Uh, Kai Kara France lands a solid right hand, and Marino shoots for a single immediately after it. No takedown, but you know, on the separation, they resume to both still be fighting a bit cautiously. Marino has a nice flurry of punches to the head, ended with a kick to the body. A rather low output round for uh, what we're used to from these two, but uh, I'm on Marino 10-9. Yeah, I also had it as a Marino round, but I, I mean, I thought this was a pretty close round, man. I, I, I just did. I think because we're not having that high degree of stuff to score, uh, it definitely helped play a part in that. But yeah, I think Marino is probably the better score to give, you know, if if you're telling me I got to make a pick and... You know, that's kind of how it works, right? Uh, so, so, yeah, I went Moreno just like you. Uh, Jacob Montalvo, Saldamato, they saw it that way. It was Doug Crosby saw it the other way. Where, where'd you end up landing on that one, Jay? The couch is unanimous. Uh, I, I did score this fight for Moreno. I, 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 Dan, you picked up on the, the flurry of punches that Moreno scored effectively in the end of the round. It was a very close, I, I view it as more of a, uh, uh, how rounds progress as more of like a metronome as, as that kind of indicator goes left and right for how it scores. And I think just when, when we're talking about, uh, strikes, significant strikes landing. I mean, you, you don't count strikes, of course. That, that That's ludicrous. Uh, but when you're kind of paying attention going, I don't think a dozen strikes have landed. All it takes is three or four or five, and then suddenly we're going all the other direction. Uh, but I will say one of my colleagues at Sherdog did score for Kyra Kyra France, uh, saying that the leg kicks, uh, while continuous, were slightly effective, uh, more effective in his eyes, uh, because the old adage of leg kicks don't finish fights is a misnomer, and we know that one. We yeah. know that Cecil Peoples was misquoted for that one. Yeah, but at the same time, there was still the sentiment, even when he was misquoted, there was still the sentiment behind it. Yeah, of that. course. And, and, and I think the sentiment was what really mattered most about that, was the fact that he was yes. discounting the leg kicks. Exactly. And we've, we've now seen for many, many years that realistically those leg kicks can win you fights. So, um, sure. but, but that's neither here nor there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see it as crazy to go Carafrance here. Um I think a lot of people were starting to scratch their heads when they saw uh Carafrance got actually scores in both rounds from from people. So I, I didn't think it was such a bad thing to be honest. But round two, I think this was an even closer round, Dan. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Definitely a closer round than the first. Uh both guys a bit more comfortable. Definitely a higher output round. Carafrance landed a couple nice low kicks. Uh Marino landed better to the head and to the body. Cara France did land two decent strikes to the head uh, as the round progressed towards the end. You know, a nice left hook. A weird exchange occurred with Marino throwing a head kick while Cara France was throwing a leg kick, and down goes Marino. Bounce right back up. 
again, another final flurry from Marino that ends with a pretty solid body kick, and that helped put it over for me to Marino, 10-9. Yep, I'm right there with you. It's it's super close. I I feel good about my 20-18 my to 18 Moreno through two rounds score, but... Yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't have a problem with it going twenty to eighteen for Car France either, and and actually Moreno was the the minority score here, it was the outscore. Uh, it was Montalvo and Crosby who scored it for uh, KKF, and Amato had it the same way Dan and I did. What about you, Jay? Where'd you go? Well, I I think it's interesting. I, I agree with you both, gentlemen. I, I scored it ten nine Moreno. I think it's an interesting debate, and it's something that happens all the time. Is that there will be uh, scores issued by media people by people that are paying attention, and they'll give two rounds to somebody, but it's very close, and they will admit it's very close. Or somebody will say, yes, it was close, but I scored it the other way. Well, if they're close, that means both of them could theoretically go in one direction or the other. And yet there was a slight uproar about scoring two rounds for Kai Kyle France versus scoring first two rounds for Brandon Marino. And, and that surprised me because I did think that they were, I mean, they, they were, I I would be comfortable with it with if somebody pitched it right. Okay, I can see how Kai Kyle France had the upper hand. I mean, his leg kicks were starting to add up a little bit. Uh, Marino was head hunting more often. Um, and, 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 and you could, you could argue it be both ways, but yeah, I, I too had it, uh, 20 to 18, Brandon Marino leading up into the third round. So if you and me, Dan, and, and even our guest Jay as well, had it the same way as uh, Judge D'Amato, who was on his own, what does that mean for, uh, for Sal? Couch shot over. Uh, that, was a good that was a good extended one, actually. I put, like it. Put some real uh, dist- or, uh, what was it? extension on it, I suppose, right? So there's one for Sal. That's in the mail. Something's coming his way. Uh, <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> it never does. Uh, just The mail service is just not what it used to be. That's all I really mean. Uh, <laughs> moving on, though, to the prelims, because that was the end. And, and honestly, I think you guys, before we even tie that off, I just wanted to say, I didn't think that we would talk about this fight so early up, because I try to structure uh, kind of the order that we talk about these in, in terms of talking points, how much people are really talking about it, how much we really ought to address it, and you know, what the value is of bringing that round down compared to others, right? And normally, I wouldn't have put something like this uh, so high up even though it was a title fight just because it, it was a reasonably close fight but because so many people were in an uproar about it I was like well I guess we got to put it a little higher right people are tuning in they want to know what we're thinking about this one so it's definitely a pattern we see it is it the is the closest it? rounds the people are the most passionate about that's <laughs> that the truth uh but passion, that, that that's the word passion yeah passion's <laughs> a, a kind way to put it that's true <laughs> um but the there that was the end of the Kind of the, there was that split that I talked about, right? It was the main card had X judges and then the prelims had X judges. We're all about the prelims the rest of the way. And we've got six rounds here from the prelims. You're going to hear a lot of judge names that we don't tend to talk about on this show because they don't get a whole lot of work. We haven't been to Dallas in a long time, not since this show began. So and for those who aren't familiar, even though they've been to Texas a bunch, they've been to Houston a bunch, they were in Austin a few weeks ago, uh, we do tend to get different judges in Texas based on where they are. Houston judges work Houston events. They don't travel on the whole to Dallas or San Antonio or what have you. They stick to that area. Same thing with the judges in the Dallas area. So these are these are newer names that we're not usually talking about. So as we get into Jocelyn Edwards win over Ji Young Kim. A split decision 
which is, of course, couch side, mater- couch side judges material always right away. 30-27, 29-28, and then 29-28 the other way. You know we got to talk about something here because we got two rounds up for it. Dan, yeah, start with round so, one. I, I just want to point out, Scott always has to remind me that we're a judging show. We are. And every week I complain about split rounds and fights <laughs> that I don't I don't have yeah. any I don't have any interest in really that, to rewatch anyway outside of watching live. There's a lot of so, Oh, are you kidding me? We got to talk about this one. I just don't want to talk about th- it's nothing it's not it's nothing against the scores. It's just I don't want to rewatch that fight. So, so you're saying the prep work of Namayunas Esparza 2 is the highlight of your month. Oh yeah. We are probably the only people who rewatch that fight. Can confirm. <laughs> All right, so back to Jocelyn Edwards. Round one, and, uh, start with that Ji-Yung one. Kim. This round feels like a sparring uh, session, honestly. There's real no real heavy impact for most of the round. Maybe in the final 30 seconds, they both throw and land some good punches. But other than that, it was Edwards landing teeps and, and body kicks with no real damaging intent behind them. And the inside kicks while Kim backed away and uh, threw her strikes without much impact or success. I don't have much else to say. I think you got to go Edwards on this one, 10-9. I thought it was a pretty solid Edwards round, to be perfectly frank. I I, just, I think Kim is in the fight. You know, she's certainly in there, and I don't think she's kind of uh, disappeared off the off the map in this round. But realistically, this is Edwards' round, right? It's, it's, I, it, am it feels, I wrong? It feels like she won it on volume. Because there's really no strong immediate effect. It's just from either one of them. Yeah, but that's so, fine. I mean, right, you can yeah. certainly win that way. That's yeah. that's a perfectly viable way to mm-hmm. win a round, and and I'm pretty sure she did that. I, and I don't think I. And that's kind of what's almost a little more galling about a round like this as opposed to a round where, say, there was like a big punch or a big strike that lands. Because look, we talked about this uh, at at training. We've talked about this on the show. If someone gets you an obstructed view, let's say a referee moves in front of the way, let's say you know the two fighters are standing you know right in front of each other, or maybe they're behind a post, or maybe the action happens as you're switching your view from looking uh, in person to looking at your monitor in front of you. A lot of whole whole lot of reasons you can miss one strike or the way it landed and that kind of thing, right? And that's why it's like, oh man, it's 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 really like, man, they should know better. They saw that obviously, but one strike can change it here. There really isn't that. It's just like death by a thousand cuts. And I think it's really hard to miss so many of these cuts to, to think it goes one way instead of the other. That's why this seems like a really solid Edwards round to me, uh, to be perfectly frank. I think Seth Fuller and Kent Basinger identified that. I think Judge Steve Armstrong don't really know what the deal was there. To be perfectly honest, it seemed like a very strange score to me. Am I wrong, Jay? Am I out of line? No, no, you're, you're not here. Uh, I, I felt comfortable uh, assessing this uh, 10-9 for, for Jocelyn Edwards because even though, uh, let, let's be clear, I, I in my play-by-play, I specifically at one point in the fight uh, referred to her leg kicks as pitter-patter. Not to disrespect for, for her, but this was a, a, a the intent to touch, to land. This wasn't a sit, you know, put, put your hips into a kick or anything like that. Uh, the only noteworthy powerful I, I i guess i should use that word differently the only noteworthy strike that really came to mind was when she jumped with like a switch kick and it, it struck kim in the in the the, the chest uh the, it to me when when there isn't an impactful blow when the damage is not in, of any note in either direction uh the volume which was you know to me it felt two to one whether the stats lined up with that or not it just felt like well that's obviously how how it should turn out because kim wasn't firing back harder in this round 
yeah, I think that that that's uh, that's a good assessment. Yeah, I I think we all pretty much agree here. This really ought to yeah. have been an Edwards round. This is it, it's not a good, it's not the strongest of scores. It really just I think I think Steve Armstrong got it wrong. I'm just saying that. Yeah. I, I think he got it wrong. And unfortunately, we hate to say that, but realistically, it does happen. And we, when we do say that, it tends to be local officials, especially in Texas. Um, <laughs> but round two, Dan, what is there? Do we think maybe there's kind of the same degree here or what? No, this, this round is a little different. Kim is fighting with more intent to, to do some harm, uh, while Edward still seems she's stuck in a sparring session. Uh, Kim's landing punches to the head. And some have some pretty good steam on them. Snapped the head back while Edwards just content to throw kicks up the middle. Like Jay said, these pitter-patter shots with just trying to touch uh, into the legs. These are like half-speed strikes. No real intent to damage, just flicking it out there. I think you got to go Kim here. She's the one who's landing with immediate impact and being more effective. 10-9 Kim. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I, I, I first of all, I'd like to say, and don't don't yell at me for, for being nice here. I, rah, I really rah, do rah, like rah. Your, I like your breakdowns, Dan, of being able to very succinctly, you know, put what happened in this round because of five minutes of mayhem and or nonsense. So just good, good stuff, Dan. This guy uh, wants anyway, to be back on the show. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, you know, enough of that silly nonsense. Um, the, the, to me, the, it, I mean, what you said, it, the way that Kim changed her approach and, and not only did she find her range, her volume increased double, you know, in, 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 in what you perceived it to be. And she started putting, putting power behind the strikes. Uh, I, I started referring to them as haymakers instead of just hooks <laughs> or, or, or kind of reaching strikes. It was a, a difference. Uh, you you could hear the impact. You could hear it. And, 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 Audible strikes don't mean everything. I mean, they do in some cases, like with the knock, the, the, the liver kick, you could hear one, oh no, but you could hear the strikes that, that Kim was landing, especially to the head, where, where they were doing work and Edwards was reacting. And, and to me, that was the damage factor uh, that, that swayed me in, in Kim's favor because Edwards couldn't get out of first gear in that round still. And she was still landing, but it wasn't ever dissuading Kim. Kim would walk through everything and, and throw hands at her. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you guys. I saw this as a Kim round. I thought this was at least reasonably close to the point where it's not that crazy to go in the direction of Edwards here, as as Judge Fuller did. Uh, am I wrong? Yeah, does this sound crazy to me, or to, to, for me to say that? Or I felt a thirty twenty seven score felt off putting to me when it, when that first was when when that first came out that uh, that that Fuller gave all three rounds to Edwards. I just I watched this fight and I think I don't know if 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 Edwards won all three rounds, um, I mean, the second round to me was the closest. That's kind of so, where I'm at. I feel like yeah. this is a much easier round to be split upon than yeah. the other two. I feel good about this being a Kim round, but I'm also, you know, There's I was pretty harsh with Judge it. Armstrong in round yep. one to give Kim. I just don't feel the same degree uh, with Judge Fuller here and giving it Edwards score. And I, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I, I just, yeah, I don't think it's the worst. Dan, what do you think? Am I, am I crazy? Yeah, nah, you're all right. All right, all right cool. The only yeah, thing, you're, you're pretty good, man. <laughs> the only other thing I want to point out before we tie this, uh, this fight off too, I knew this was going to be a fight we'd talk about when I saw Jocelyn Edwards on here. And Dan, we seemed so surprised that we were going to have to talk about it and so upset. But I'm like, dude, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I knew, just, I, just I knew it was going to be a three-round fight. I knew it was going to be a split decision. I knew we'd have to talk about one or two rounds. I want to point out, I'm not upset that the judges had different scores. I was upset that I had to rewatch a fight I had no interest uh, in. I understand. Beyond 
it live. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. I, 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 I think it was our friend uh, Adam Martin who, who I believe he wrote. I, he was either betting advice or something. He said this fight is going to go to a split decision. So hey, man, tip of the cap if that's the case. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen that. <laughs> no, <laughs> I am blocked. Yeah, Adam so. Martin blocks him. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. He doesn't listen to the show anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can move on though. There's no more fights where we have multiple rounds. We already we already finished off the uh, the three. So now we just got one round each from these final four fights here. We'll go to the heavyweights as and it was a uh, Hamdi Abdul Wahab got the win over Dante Mays. Split decision, all 29-28. So it was two one way, one or the other. Classic split decision. Round three was the split. Dan, what's happening here? Yeah, uh, interesting round. Mays lands a leg in kick. In what way? I mean, oh, oh, because there's a split. All right, I'll let you. Because I'll there's you a split it. score. Because I they see. somehow made it to the yeah. third round without falling oh, over. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. But <laughs> Me and Scott, were, I was. I suggested heavyweight should fight five round, five minutes and then go to the scorecards. That's what I want. Yeah. I very much want that. <laughs> Unless it's decided. Honestly, <laughs> if you're in the rankings, if you're in like that upper level, I get it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Like That's fine. But most of the time, you, you want, got five minutes to sort it out, and then we're moving on. <laughs> You want Mahatrals. You want them fighting blue jeans or something with hay bales around them. Why don't you just go that way? Well, it, does, it doesn't need to be that. I just, I just, it's more about my, you know, the use of my time. Be economical. Okay, fair enough. It. That's it's, all it is. Heavy, those heavyweight fights are sprints. The rest can be marathons. I can dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we'd all win that way. But anyway, Dan, go, go into this. Yes. Yeah, so so Maze lands a leg kick, and then immediately Abdel Wahab gets a waist lock, drags him down to the ground. The whole wrestler thing. DC loved this takedown. I, I, I actually, I <laughs> love this did. takedown too. I thought it was, it was awesome takedown. <laughs> nice trip, good, good technique there. But now, uh, we hang out on the ground for the next four minutes here, um, minus one quick uh, stand up and, and a mat return from Abdul Wahab. Um, but in this, he's landing some punches and elbows. Nothing too hard, but I don't think these were pitter patter, especially the uppercuts where uh, Maze is, you know, kind of got his back against the fence and he's sitting up, and Abdul Wahab lands a. A couple. I think he land two uppercuts and a solid left straight in this thing. I th- I thought it was pretty solid strikes. Uh, referee Kerry Hatley stands him up with 40 seconds left. Uh, and for about 20 seconds, they stare at each other. And then Mays presses forward, misses a few shots. Abdul Wahab cracks him with two shots. Then as the round ends, Mays cracks him with two or three good shots. I think you got to go Abdul Wahab. I don't think anything in that final 20 seconds that Mays did would steal a round here. The only thing I would say about Abdul Wahab's ground strikes that he's landing is I do think significant number of these are, in effect, busy strikes. I don't want to say pitter-patter, but they, they did get the feel of that. However, absolutely does land a few. Those, those uppercuts in particular, I think it was an elbow right. But it's really just a handful, I think, that kind of make the round for him. And it's really all he needed, more or less, because of the fact that Mays really doesn't do a whole lot. And Abdul Wahab does stuff on the you know in the, the brief standing at the end too. So, yeah, on the whole, it's really felt like a pretty decent Abdul Wahab round for for what kind of ended up being I guess low output striking wise. It still felt like a pretty decent round for him. So I I was a little surprised to uh you know once I kind of focused in on this round I I didn't get to pay attention to this one uh, live as close as I would like to. But watching it today, uh, yeah, it felt it felt like a pretty good Abdul Wahab round. Jay, do you agree? I was very comfortable with uh, a a ten nine Abdel Wahab in that in the third round, uh, not just because of the sweet uppercuts or the fact that he he hit the takedowns and landed them and nullified uh, uh, May so he May so he couldn't you know do anything to to respond with. Um, 
I didn't see the final sequence, uh, the the flying knee that missed by a, about you know a foot, and the 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 obligatory rock'em sock'em moment that they had. I don't feel slow quote, motion too. I don't feel it, it it quote stole the round. You know, I there, there's different kinds of strikes on the ground. There's the pitter patter ones that you go, okay, that's that's you're punching the the side. Yeah, that's going to do anything. You're just going to kind of whack it with a you know the the John Fitch six inch punch. That's nothing's going to happen there. And then there's the, the punch those. that. And and then there's the punch that like um it's the keep the referee from standing me up punches where they're more active they have a little more oomph on them just a little bit of mustard but not enough to do any notable damage but they're also going to make the referee go well he's working then I guess or she's working I guess we'll keep going and then there's the ones that Amanda Nunes was starting to rip towards it you know when the uh, when when she rearranged uh, Juliana Pena's face uh, so these were the activity strikes that to me there were plenty. There, there was a significant total, and that was more noteworthy than the the final, you know, the the, the final countdown at the end, where it was uh, an awkward brawl, and a lot of the strikes that sounded like Joe Rogan was freaking out about were missed. But oh, it was, yeah. There, there <laughs> were hurt. more O's than there were landed shots. It would be my interpretation of having seen that, but. You know, it was a, a 10 9 double hub for, for him to get the decision in my eyes. Yeah, I, this feels like a fight where if it was kind of anywhere else but Texas, we're having kind of unanimous 29-28s for Abdul yes. Wahab. And, and it just, that's that's where I look at this fight and I'm like, man, Seth Fuller, I just don't think got it right here. Um, in, in a key third round, fortunately, he was the only one. We did have two other judges who I think saw it. We can call it the right way. Dan Matheson and Kent Basinger saw it that way, uh, as we did for Abdul Wahab. Gave him the victory. Ultimately, it didn't matter, but yeah, you hate to kind of see that one. So not, I don't think that was a great uh, card from, from Fuller. Yeah, this was one of the rounds, like, when you asked, Jay, if we looked through these fights a little differently uh, since last week after uh, taking the, the judging course. This was one of the rounds where, with the grappling, because I remember the one example they showed us, you know, the one fighter had, you know, kind of side saddle, like, on, on the back mm-hmm. a little bit, turtle. And he's like, yeah, the other guy's not actively trying to get up. So he's just holding position. This was where Mays actually wanted to come up, wanted to get up, and Abdul Wahab, you know, prevented that. He said, "No, you're not yeah. getting up." So I don't yeah. think it was just him holding position, or as, but on the other hand, he was also not advancing position. So right, or or even landing, let's say, a high degree of damage either. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. But but nonetheless, I think we can move on from that fight. We still got three more rounds to get through. Hopefully, we can fly through these a little quicker, maybe than we've been doing. Uh, Drew Dober. Got the win over Rafael Alves. This is a solid fight uh, yeah. with a, a body punch. Good knockout. Round one is split, though, and I think this raised a couple of eyebrows. Let's talk about this one, Dan. Uh, pretty entertaining round. Starts with Alves calling his own timeout, which we know fighters can't do. No, no, no. They can do it because no, it can. happened. They I just can. watched They definitely it. can do it. <laughs> you're, you're taught not to, but realistically, yeah. we see it in practice every yeah. week. I still don't know what he was. He, he, he had some weird tape on his toe or something. Whatever. Uh, on resume, Dober lands a nice head kick, partially blocked, followed by a, you know, a solid straight to the face. Alves able to close the distance, gets uh, kind of a strange takedown, almost like a trip kind of. On top, uh, he's trying to attack a guillotine. There's really nothing there at all. Um, eventually, he does start landing some decent ground and pound. When he stands up, he lands a couple punches to the head. Then he lands these two really hard leg kicks, which I thought bothered Dober because after the second one, he just jumped up like, whoa. I really don't want that anymore. Uh, where was I? Oh, there I am. Yeah. Alvis, Alvis connected a couple more times here and there, and then Dober started to stalk him, throwing against the cage, but missing 
a lot of these strikes that he was throwing. I do think Alves wins it. I can understand a judge thought Dober maybe landed more of these strikes depending on their view. If they had you know a bad view of it, I can probably see the argument there. But I'm on 10-9 Alves. Where, where do you sit, Jay? This to me seemed like when, when there was a little bit of a, d- a dis- dispute about that, it seemed to me like that Dober was able to sway a judge uh, by his intense attempts to throw things. We call uh, that a Diego his, Sanchez. That's the Diego his, his, Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His blitzes that don't have any appreciable impact, but darn if they look good. Or if they, you know, he, he sprints in and throws five punches, every single one of them, Alves is able to, to, to shell up and block. But oh man, that was a cool looking thing. Or the spinning wheel kick. Now, the spinning wheel kick kind of bumped off of Alves' shoulder right at the very end, but it's that kind of stay busy or, or look, and look good, you know, like that, like uh, kind of like glamour muscles versus the, the fighter muscles. Um, it, it was, uh, it, to me, it seemed like a, an Alves round and, and not just because the striking was pretty close uh, and Alves had the, had the, the takedown and, and he was very actively attempting to, to pass guard. And I think I even addressed this in the play-by-play that he was very interested in position over submission. Like there were times he wasn't landing strikes because he was trying to pass guard, which as we know is a form of damage in, in, in our judging criteria um, to a small degree. Um, So yeah, I I felt comfortable with Alves uh, winning that round 10, nine. Yeah. Yeah. I I did too. A little bit of a head scratcher that this one went the way of Dober, but I, I I get what you're saying, Dan, but like, you know, Realistically, a judge ought to be saying, oh, I think it, if I, you know, you look for the, the reactions to how it landed and that kind of thing. It, man, we had a lot of stuff happen in the round that right. went one way. Yeah. I, I just, it's it's kind of tougher uh, to to see it that way, uh, the same way as Adam Menard did. I see it much easier uh, the way of Steve Armstrong and Dan Matheson. I think they were they were on point to give this one to Elvis. And yeah, I think we're all unanimous here to different degrees. I, maybe I'm the one who's the most critical out of you three. I don't know, but um, that that's where we're at. We can move on, though, because we do two more. Michael Morales got the win in round three over Adam uh, Fugit via round, uh, like I said, round three TKO. Dan, you, you keep wanting to say his name a different way. We're not going to do that. It's a family show. And uh, round one. Forget about it. What is what is happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like that, but not exactly. A uh, different way. Uh, <laughs> round, round one is the round we're split on here. Why are we split, sir? Now, first minute and a half, Morales lands a, a solid jab and then spends that time blocking kicks from uh, Fugit, reluctantly. Uh then they both start to find a little success. Morales lands a heavy right that snaps the head way back, followed by a jab. Fugit. That's Fugit. Fugit. Oh, man, I'm going to struggle with this. <laughs> He's able to get a call, clinch. Call, call him Adam. That's right. Adam's able to, to clinch, <laughs> gets a takedown, lands a couple punches, but, you know, nothing too big. Gets caught with a couple up kicks. I thought one seemed to at least off balance Adam from here. <laughs> uh, from here. He's in the guard, which we know is a neutral position. Nobody's really doing much here. Uh, yeah, Fug- top control from from uh, guard is not actual real top control. No one's in yeah. control. All it is is just the takedown to get it there, and then everything else is neutral. Booyah. Ignore control there. It's just top. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. M- Morales, is, he, he elevates him and uses it to stand back up. And here's where I see it pretty clearly. The impact on the strikes for Morales is just better. Really clean and heavy shots, snapping the head back. Fugit lands uh, some here and there that are pretty decent. It's just not the same class of impact. Round ends with Fugit wobbled by a jab. I'm on 10-9 Morales here. 
I'm also on Ten Nine Morales, but I I will I will say watching it again today, I felt it, it felt like a much closer round than I think when I was watching it, and I can totally understand why Morales was actually the outscore to to score for him was was uh, split from the majority dan matheson and seth frollo they had it for fugit and it was adam menard who saw it the same way as you and i dan but yeah i i do think the impact is really what wins out here i think there's there's a difference in the degree to which fugit is affecting his opponent with the strikes landing compared to vice versa so yeah i i like morales here but no I, i'm not i'm not really upset about this one being split in any way i think this is just a kind of a classic round that's like yeah this is a close round it's a competitive round you could see it maybe a little bit differently and maybe even allow for the fact that a Judge Cade side might be uh, feeling or feeling different impact off of these strikes, right? Yeah, well, when I watched the re- when I rewatched it, it, I felt that I was just reaffirmed in my initial assessment. You got anything to so, add to that, no. Jay? Um, not really. I, I think what really did sway it for me the first time I saw it when I, I scored it for, for Morales was the, you could tell the reaction uh, when, when, when Fugit, when, when Adam was, uh, taking the strikes you could see he was getting knocked back a step he was there was a, a right hand that morales landed i think it was like a, just a straight right down the pipe that immediately started some swelling around fugit's uh fugit's right uh left eye there we go um and you you could see that there were just certain moments where you you'd have to you'd see adam start blinking it out and it was those kinds of little moments where like okay i can see that morales's strikes are doing the, 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 the big difference and i kind of looked at this and i wondered if there was that relative expectation that, oh, we expect it, that Adam's going to get wiped, he's going to get iced, so it's competitive, so maybe we're thinking about scoring it for him, kind of like how when uh, Jennifer Meyer was competitive against uh, Valentina Shevchenko, we went, oh, 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 we got something here, when in fact it was a 49-46. So I don't wonder if that was part of that for the judges to see and go, oh, wow, I thought this undefeated kid was going to just burn through him, but he didn't until later. Nonetheless... We end up all on the same page with uh, Judge Menard, who was uh, on his own. So, Dan, what do we call that for uh, for Judge Menard, who's on his own? Couch side over. Two for the night. Oosh. We will we will see if uh, Judge Menard gets something in the mail. He might. <laughs> he might. Just might. Last round, gents, and it is, it is Alex Mono. What? Oh, oh, oh. sir. Oh, I was hoping it was going to be Blood Diamond Fight, so then I could say, no, his name is Mike. Carry ne- on. Negatory, negatory. We are on Alex Morona. <laughs> Someone did say that. I said, can we just call him Mike from now on? <laughs> no. No. His name is Blood. His name's Diamond. Blood Diamond. Uh, we're not on that one, though. We're on Alex Morono. Got the win over Matthew uh, Semmelsberger. Unanimous decision. It was 29-28 twice and a 30-27. We're only talking about round three. So what we're saying is the fight was already more or less decided coming into this with Morono pretty much just needing to ride out five minutes. What happens in these five minutes that we're talking about this as a split round, sir? Yeah, as you said, Semmelsberger clearly down, needs a finish, comes out like a house on fire, drops Morona with a jumping knee, end up, ends up in a scramble, and, and during the scramble, Semmelberger lands a nice throw, puts him back on the ground, ends up in guard uh, with Morono. Morono's uh, trying to get the rubber guard. Semmelsberger picks him up, slams him back down to the ground, uh, eventually back up on the feet. Semmels, uh, not, not too much ground and pound happened while, or anything all that effective happened while on the ground, I'll point out. Uh Back on the feet, Semmelsberger lands another jumping knee in a clinch situation, and Morono stumbles forward, just uh, kind of holding on a little bit. It looked a little strange. Uh, the rest of, the, at least the next minute or maybe minute and a half, 
Morono's walking a little stiff, uh, but he keeps pumping his jab out and he's landing it pretty good. But a lot of the other shots that are being thrown are blocked. Uh, semi or semi landing some leg kicks and body uh, front kicks. You can tell he's quite tired. As the round goes on, Morono appears to be getting some good lands in there. And then Semi lands a nice big left. Uh, Morono cracks him with a right to the jaw, then an overhand right that he probably couldn't see because his, his eye was, was jacked up. Terrible looking. Uh, if a judge didn't see Semmelsberger land that knee. And that thought, early knee. And thought maybe he just tripped. I could probably understand why you would score for Morono. Because I do think in that second part of the round after that, Morono really did land probably, or at least it's arguable that he landed better for that part of the round. So I could see it. But I'm on Semmelsberger. I thought that knee was was big damage. Uh, 10-9 Semmelsberger. That's really the only reason that I could kind of see it. And and it's conceivable. Absolutely. You can't discount that. But realistically, I think you, you would even agree, Dan, that the, re- the right answer to this one with all the facts in front of you right. really ought to be yeah. Semmelsberger winning this round. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is a viable consideration you know that when like i said before when i was talking about edwards and it was kind of like there was no one strike it really ought to be that way uh for her because of the fact that it was kind of a thousand cuts we had we had just had a bunch of things you know weighing on one side as opposed to just one thing that could have been missed this is different this this one it makes a little more sense i still think that kent basinger doesn't really have a strong leg to stand on other than saying he missed that for some reason or another but I feel much better giving uh, giving the round to Semmelsberger with uh, with Seth Fuller and Steve Armstrong. Am I wrong here, uh, Jay? Are we wrong? On one of the the, the judging courses, we talked about how it's the uh, enough damage, especially early in the round, will sway the it to one side so far that a fighter will have to come back really notably in the rest of the round to be able to make up for that. And when he when 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 uh, Semi the Jedi, why Jedi knocked him down with a knee in, in early on in the in the, the round? I thought, okay, that's 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 massive. That's significant for him um, because of the fact that he can't see. You know, this is I'm surprised this fight kept going, guys. Just 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 I want to just say there that whatever the doctor saw, man, good. Good for you, Cut Man. Was um, it was it Rogan who suggested that maybe he guessed that it was one finger? Oh man! And, and we got the I anic mean, laugh out of it. It's it's very possible that it was just kind of a a, a roll the dice kind uh, of thing, because semi answer. semi was in it to 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 try and get it back, and he did more damaging blows in the first and uh, the first period of the fight uh, to to get it back. And I I don't think that. Morono, I don't know. If the judge admits he didn't see the knockdown, that's a hard thing to say because that's the most significant strike or move of the fight. I think unless, I think what, unless the one percent obstructed view. I think what Dan and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. I think what Dan is trying to say that if you didn't know how the knockdown occurred, if you, if you saw like the legs were tied up and they kind of fell maybe over, jumps and just it lands. You okay, know, I that's guess. where it could be. If you don't see yeah. the strike land, you can't assume what happened. That's right. a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that's what you're mean, right? Yeah, right, I, I, I know he know. I, I'm not saying that the judge didn't see oh, him yeah. throw the knee. I'm oh, yeah, saying no, I got you. He thought he jumped and maybe they just slipped on, on there and didn't gotcha. see how it landed, you know, that it actually knocked him down. Just clarifying for our listeners. Yeah. Especially. yeah, sure. Although I will admit one last thing. I thought that Morono's mouthpiece was the one that was knocked out of the mouth. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. yes. Yeah. We need to. We, did we talk about this in full, Dan? Oh, mouthpiece? We, we, we could talk about. Yeah. We, Jay, do you remember the referee course about the mouthpiece? 
Yeah, you're not supposed to, to 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 stop and look for it and go hunting for, you know, looking on the ground searching for it. That's but, a very clear thing. You're supposed more, to be eyes on the fight. But more than that, what are you supposed to do once the mouthpiece is acquired? Uh, wait until there's a lull in the action and then replace it. But what? How is that mouthpiece replaced? Do you put it? Oh, as the oh, referee oh, oh, into yes. the mouth? oh, that's a good. Oh, that's a great point. That no. I actually, it's funny you say that. That was on the test. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I even wrote that in the play-by-play. Mergliata, Big Tan was the one who replaced his mouthpiece in his mouth. That's that's a that's a you don't you know don't get in there. You know, you that's don't against protocol. Chompers. That's against protocol. Not supposed to do that. You're not following proto, buddy. You're done. <laughs> I like that you call him Big Tan. That's a good one. Oh yeah, I, we call yeah. I call him Tan Dan. All right, that's not bad. A lot of a lot of people call him Big Dan, but I, I do Tan Dan. You go Big Tan. No, that's interesting. It's Big Tan because Big John and Big Tan. No, Big John and Big Dan. No, Big Tan. That's why I like Tan Dan. That's not bad either. Yeah. But anyway, no matter what you call him, <laughs> maybe we're not supposed to put the mouthpiece in on your own, huh? You could get bit. A lot, a lot of things grouse. go wrong. Don't do that. But it's, it's grouse. But the fact of the matter is that this round really ought to be scored as a Semmelsberger round. It was not unanimous. We are talking about it for that. To kind of recap, because that is the last round, and normally we don't recap off of these things, but I just thought it was fascinating because out of the six rounds we talked about from the prelims, there were five local judges used. We we mentioned every one of them as the out judge except for Dan Matheson, and I think each one of them ended up being on the wrong end of a score where we said the wrong score was assessed rather than, yeah, you can kind of see it either way, right? And we do see in certain circumstances why it could have gone that way or another. But nonetheless, four, four out of five local judges gave a round out where we're like, yeah, that's, that's not really the right one. Um, I just think that speaks to the fact that maybe we do need to be including more traveling judges when we come to Texas than we do. And that is unfortunate. I also saw a very interesting phenomenon. I think it was actually uh, MMA Decisions that pointed this out, uh, that of all the media scorecards for the, the, the fights that went the distance, I believe there was one scorecard of all of them that disagreed with the result of, 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 of even a, a round score. I believe it was the, the Dante Mays fight. I believe one, one media scorecard went for Mays. I think all of the rest of the media scorecards were unanimous for whatever we had all chosen, which is fascinating. It's rare. I, I feel like it doesn't necessarily mean anything, though, because no, you know, of course and not. As, as much as like I'm I'm part of MMA media and I'm trying not to be elitist about this. But realistically, a lot of MMA media just doesn't know what the judges are really evaluating. They haven't talked to yeah. judges. They haven't taken the courses. They just they go by what they think they know. And I to them, I Even would say, I just right. hope you take the course like like we all did on this uh, on this episode of the podcast here. I, I hope it's you do. It. You know, there's a lot of people who, who honestly already know. I mean, I, I have a high high degree of respect for pretty much anybody we've had on the show. I mean, I, a lot of them have shown some real uh, acumen in describing uh, the way rounds are scored. Uh, I, I think a recent example, of course, uh, being Matthew Wells. Uh, I like when he contributes to uh, the kind of the judging recap piece that they do at MMA Junkie. I think he is definitely the sharpest uh, of, as far as scoring wise on on that uh, that panel they use. Uh, but yeah, I, I, no matter who you are, I just encourage everybody to take the course uh, as we did. Yeah, Jay, I hope, uh, I hope Felder addresses your question that you asked him. Me too. Me, I'm glad no, you me. saw that. Me too. What question yeah. is uh, that? Uh, Felder Felder uh, is doing a little Q and A type of thing where they're gonna he and Michael Kiesa are gonna answer questions and I, I said that uh, a few of the media attended the the, the referee and treasure course uh, would be, that be something you Paul Felder and Kiesa would attend would that be something you 
you do. Because oh, I hope he takes it. I uh, you know, Dean Thomas, I think. Got I, I mentioned that. that Dean was in it. Dean mm-hmm. had taken the, the judging course too. So yeah, I mean, Sanko, Sanko and, and Dean, they're hopefully they're leading the way. Well, Sanko, uh, Laura Sanko is not just past the course. She is a licensed yeah. judge in Missouri now. So I'm going to give a real clap here. Yeah, for Laura Sanko. I think she deserves that because that that is impressive to get all the way to that level to not only take the course, but also be a licensed judge. Doubt she's probably going to be judging because she has other ways to uh, make money. And and there's that whole code of conduct thing and it gets complicated. But anyway, um, bravo to her. I'm, I'm very excited for the day that comes along where she is actually placed on a UFC proper UFC broadcast uh in the color commentary uh spot i think she'll do just soon. do a bang up job yes they can't do soon very enough. soon can't happen soon enough but that is it for the rounds uh seven finishes on this one as much as we talked about all these rounds there were a bunch of finishes here six by tko or ko one by sub and two of the fights ended in the first round of those finishes sir and we'll start with jay what was your favorite i can't get enough of a good body shot and and we had multiple just mm, Oh, chef's kiss body shots. Uh, but the one I talk want to talk about very briefly uh, is the one that was set up multiple times through the first and second rounds by Drew Dober, where he would just, he would go right to the head, left to the body. He had just a little rhythm. He would set it up and it was working and you could see it. There was, I think it was the second round where Alves flinched a little bit. And I, and I thought, oh, he's onto something here. And it was just the way that in the third round, early in the third round, uh, Alves kind of faked a left and, and Dober slipped it. And just a short, straight jackhammer, like a piston, left to the liver. And it just absolutely short-circuited Alves. And it was just magnificent. Uh, and I, I, Drew Dober, I appreciate you and your your chin and your liver shot, because that was that was a thing of beauty. He, It's interesting that Drew Dober is a knockout away from the lightweight knockout record already. Okay. And I wouldn't wow. have thought that. It, it was held UFC, by Dustin Poirier. Course, yeah. Like he tied Melvin Gillard, which we know is the knockout guy. Yeah. But yeah, Drew Dober is sneaking up the the the, the records there. It, so that's it, mine. It kind of it kind of tripped me out when they said that he was at about his nine year mark with the UFC. I'm like, is it really? But I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I guess it really is. But I mean, good for him. Uh, good, still good only shout. Three, anyways. Carry on. That's a good shout. I like that one. Uh, I also like a good body shot. Uh, KO. So I went with uh, Mr. Interim Flyweight Champion Brandon Moreno. Shut down Kaikara France to the body in in round three, and he was losing that round, like we mentioned before. I just think that was that was really impressive because we were really starting to see at least some momentum shifting, and I'm like, oh man. Maybe Kara France is going to start taking control here, and then boom, all of a sudden it's over. Yeah. Wow. Really great knockout. Really great way to put a stamp on it. Uh, and, and of course, set up that tetralogy, sir. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Dan, what, what was your favorite finish, Dan? Uh, Pantoja. Just neck cranking the hell out of, out of uh, Perez. Grabbed Perez, the back, yeah. locked in the body triangle, standing, and just went to work cranking. He was either going to break the jaw or break his neck, and uh, well, Perez uh, tapped out before that happened. It's a real so. shame that Pantoja is kind of in that Leon Edwards spot, like like uh, Jay mentioned earlier, because Pantoja realistically ought to be getting a title fight at some point. He he almost seems like the uh, the juicy A Formiga. The newest juicy A Formiga for Flyway because he was somebody who realistically ought to have deserved a title shot on merit. He just never quite got the fight, uh, and now he's gone. So uh, I hope that's not the, the way, case with Pantoja. He's he's too talented. Too. He is the way Pantoja came out of the uh, right at the beginning of the fight with that look in his eyes. 
Ooh, you got some old school vibes right there. I don't want to say his name, but I'm going to say his name. You know when Chuck had that look in his eye? Oh, I saw oh, just going there. when 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 Pantoja came down and was ready to just throw down. I thought, ooh, ooh we got something special here, and we did. Did the a room get crank. cold as ice, man? A, a face crank. Yeah, it was. It was a brutal sub. <laughs> he he definitely had more fire in him than normal for Pantoja. But you know what? Let's close the book on Dallas. Let's close the book on UFC 277, and let us look ahead briefly. Uh, before we close down here, UFC Vegas 59. I couldn't come up with a number, so initially I wrote uh, Vegas something or other. Uh, it is number 59 on Saturday. And uh, headline back, I like this fight. I really actually like this headliner a lot. Tiago Santos against Jamal Hill, 205 pounds. I, I am literally always interested in a Jamal Hill fight. I think he has been fascinating to me since the moment he stepped into the UFC after uh, winning on the Contender Series. I've been curious about his progress. I think he's on a championship track. Will he win the belt? That's up to him. But I, I see great things for him. So I'm interested in this fight uh, in particular. What do, what do you think? Are you guys up for this one, too? This is to get your blood pumping? Yeah, for sure. The, Jamal Hill has a chance here to, to make a statement enter the top five if he wins impressively, which he tends to do. I, mean, I, I could see him in the top five after this fight if he wins. So I mean, shoot, if he beats Tiago Santos and he looks impressive, like I mean, he wouldn't be next in line or anything like that. But I imagine he could be placed in some sort of you know title eliminator fight. You know, maybe maybe against someone like uh, Magomed and Kaliyev because mm -hmm. now that we're getting backed up a little bit. Now we've got the Glover Teixeira fight. It sounds like is going to happen uh, uh, against the champion. Yuri Prohaska, and then we've got Jan Blahomage in there. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of things they can do. 205 is getting interesting again. What do you think, uh, Jay? This, this is a real pivotal moment for, for Tiago Santos here. I mean, he's lost he's lost four or five, and he's just – he hasn't had that spark that we we loved about him, you know. We, Maheta, the, he has his walkout as song as the, the hammer of, of, of the city of gods around the world. You know, this is a guy who – had all of that, everything behind him and the frightening power, and he hasn't been pulling the trigger, and that just hurts my heart. Well, Jamal Hill is going to force a fight, and he's going to be in his face, and the Santos is maybe, if we're lucky, going to throw some hands back at him. Uh, if we're lucky, I think it'll be a very exciting, violent collision, and yeah, it'll tell us something because it'll tell us if Jamal Hill is ready to get to that top five, or it'll tell us if Tiago Santos still has some, if he's going to serve as that top five, I don't want to say gatekeeper because that sounds rude, but hey, man, when the shoot fits, he'll be knocking down contenders for a while. So yeah, that's that could be real violent, and I like that about about main events when you go, ah, I see what you did here. I see what the matchmakers are hoping for. This is what I like about uh, fight night main events. This is kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, we've had we've had a mixed bag over the last couple of years, especially the ones that have been uh, at the apex and and not pay-per-views so yeah this this one i'm very happy about it's good to see um and it's also going to be good to see nevada judges back there we'll have more mostly traveling judges and the ones that work uh, exclusively out of las vegas it's gonna be a lot easier i think to trust these judges coming in initially uh depending on how someone feels about certain judges that people like to complain about every week but i i still don't think it's very justified um what else are you guys looking forward to seeing is there a fight that you're looking forward to uh mr petri there is a fight I'm looking forward to, and I think it's an awkward fight that doesn't make sense until you really think about what the UFC is trying here. And you're going to go down the prelims for a while. You're going to go down to a welterweight fight between Jason, which is also a, a vanilla gorilla variety, which we have a few of the UFC, <laughs> uh, versus uh, Dana White's uh, Contender Series 2021 signee. Uh, Josh Quinlan, who who I liked when he was coming up to the LFA ranks, uh, with some real fast power, but but, but staying power in, in fights. Uh, Jason Witt, 
uh, you know, I, I don't mean this with any respect was uh, disrespect whatsoever uh but he's kind of a face first brawler like this is a guy who's who's going to knock you out he might get knocked out too and and that's okay because he isn't really that effective on the feet but he still kind of leads with it he'd rather choke you out in some fashion and josh quinlan's going to go at you now josh quinlan tested positive for steroids for standalone uh last this past year and actually had his uh win overturned or no contest and the ufc kept him how sporting of him, and they're going to give him a guy who might throw down with him. So this is a a tailor made matchup for Quinlan, and it could go very strange if a guy that was used to steroids is no longer on them. So this mm-hmm. this is a, a fun, interesting thing that's low, and this way I won't steal the ones that you guys are thinking of that are higher up. Yeah, you know it's funny there there was one that I thought ought to be a little higher just because I think they like this guy a lot, but but maybe it was the matchup they they felt the need to put it on the prelims or something like that. Terrence Sam McKinney. Alby? Terrence McKinney. Oh, God, get out of here. Uh, Terrence McKinney is someone who I think is really going places at lightweight. So he's coming off of the loss to Drew Dober in that epic first round uh, war that they had and still ranks among the uh, round of the year contenders, I think. Not sure where it sits now because we've got some pretty – that's a kind of stacked qua- uh, category right now. I mean, Chanel Sumaderji. some some damn good fights, uh, realistically. But, yeah, McKinney coming in here. He's got Eric Gonzalez, so the ghost pepper. Uh, right? Is, is that his yep. name? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, uh, so he's spicy. I, I, I don't love the matchup here just because I, I think there is a certain degree of throwing Eric Gonzalez to the wolves here. Yes, that's a good point. And I, I don't love that from a matchmaking standpoint, but I, I really can't. I can't not be interested in a Terrence McKinney fight because, again, I really do see this as a guy who's got a very bright future at 155 pounds. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in that one. Dan, I mean, I know you're definitely interested in another one I might mention, so I'll let you say it. Uh, you know what? You say it because I'm more interested in the, uh, where we're going after this. Oh, so. okay, because I'm definitely pe- not interested in that. What do you, what do you want to say, the Dan? people's main event? The people's main event is it being uh, Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah, 170 pounds. I like this fight. How do you not like a Vicente Luque fight? Right. Uh, I think him and Jeff Neal could could definitely make some fireworks here, but I still feel like the, the people's main event almost seems unfair here just because I think Santos versus Hill is a legit fight. Uh, a legit fight that p- people would even be excited about. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, yeah. Nonetheless, e- either way, top two fights in this card that because this is the co-main uh, at 170 pounds. I really like both of this. This is, this is a decent, decent main card for a fight night. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy. You're going to say the fights that I'm not even interested in. I pretty much put on just because we kind of have to talk about it, sir. So lead the way. Dan, Dan making a real tough call here. <laughs> the tough finales. Hmm. I I'm invested in the show. I watched all the episodes, so I got to see how it ends. I'm excited for it. First one, the heavyweight finale: Zach Pauga versus Muhammad Usman. I'm not totally sold on Usman yet. Uh, I don't think he looked all that great on the show. I think Pauga was the better fighter from what I did see. But also, I think Mo's at Fortis MMA now. Is that correct? Jay, do you Does know? Anyone know? Uh, I know he was. I know he was at Rufusport, but I think oh, he was he, at. Mo- I think he might. He's not, at he San- he's not at Sanford with Kamaru, right? No, no, okay. no. So yeah, I think maybe having his normal Kamaru's team. barely at Sanford. <laughs> his team, uh, maybe this brings out something different. But I'm, I'm going to pick Pauga on this one to win. And then the uh, the women's fight, women's uh, flyweight, Juliana Miller. She's just uh, tries to, to finish you from, from the bell. It's just she's super entertaining, super scrappy. I'm excited for that one. 
against Brogan Walker. What, what do I need to know about Brogan Walker? Because I didn't watch the show. Invicta I actually don't know anything about. I I did interview uh, Muhammad Usman last year, so I know a little bit about him. But honestly, most of these guys are just kind of uh, strangers to me. Uh, Brogan Walker's an Invicta guys vet. and gals. <laughs> okay. Uh, Juliana Miller's only two and one as a pro. Okay. But she did make yeah, it to the finals. It's, so. it's, it's Invicta on Invicta violence right here. That's for sure. There you go. Anything else we need to touch upon, boys? I think this is a pretty st- uh, you know stock full show. Uh... I think we covered a lot, and and I yeah. I hope Jay that you had a really nice time talking about all these time. rounds with us. It, it we're hyper nerdy. We've got the Criterion nerd shirt on uh, Dan over there uh, to, to be talking about all this. But yeah, I, I I think it's enjoyable to go in, and hopefully we hopefully you had a good time. Yes, I did. Uh, the only thing I left to say is that Sam Albee is going to win this weekend and get eight more fights in the UFC. Otherwise, <laughs> this has been a, this has been a, a great experience. I, I'm very much. I appreciate you guys having me here. I had a lot of fun. You know, he's got children. We don't wish that type of brain damage upon him, do we? Do we really want that? <laughs> he smiles through it, though. Yeah. I guess That's so. right. Well, you know, I think it's... Before we even uh, do our little closing here, Jay, anything else you want to shout out? Projects? What um, anything you're working on? Yeah, cool the stuff? I, what do you got? The only thing I want to shout out is shouting out uh, to our colleagues in the media. Uh, if you want to improve your education in the sport to the next level, uh, go take a judge and referee course with the ABC uh, or uh, I guess guess the command course or Herb Dean's referee course or whatever legitimate uh, uh, sanctioned courses are out there. Uh, it'll it'll change the way you look at the sport in a good way. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with more education. So I'm, I'm I can't recommend it enough. And incidentally, they will be in Texas soon doing a judging Austin. course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So and they will be in, the in Vegas area? in next next year and i'll probably be in attendance and it sounds like some a certain gentleman here will probably be out his that way too oh yes i I enjoy that city very much it may not be me we'll we'll have to see Uh, yeah a lot can change in a year but i have have to figure things out and that does it for this episode of the Couchside judges thanks again to sure dogs jay petri for joining us we'll be back again on tuesday i will be away this weekend coming up to break down EOC Vegas 59. Tuesday for 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> what are we, we going to do to celebrate? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure it out. Maybe, we'll I'll have, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll have some cake too while I do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody.